Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. There's a famous quote from a very famous writer in a very famous play called Romeo and Juliet. And in that play, one of Juliet's lines is, what's in a name? That's a question. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And many of you have heard that quote, read that story, that play, and uh, you may realize the backstory of this is that uh, Juliet is in love with Romeo, and the problem is they come from families, two different families that are in the midst of a great feud. And so the line basically is, um, is hunger. It's a plea that if only they could be called by something else, then they would be free to live their lives together and experience love together. Well, what Romeo and Juliet find out is that names are not easily discarded. And uh, we also know that this line that she speaks about a rose, it's true that a rose called by a different name would still smell as sweet, but it might not be as popular as it is today. It might actually not be the flower of Valentine's Day if it were called by a different name. For instance, if I were to bring a rose, but now call it something different to Mona and say, Mona, would you take this stink blossom and be my Valentine? I don't know if it's going to go over quite as well. Or Mona, I love you so much. Here's a wart bud. Would you please take this? So names do matter. And in fact, when we're talking about the name of God, it matters a lot, a whole lot. Listen to um, Moses' conversation with God earlier in Exodus. You might remember at the burning bush, God called Moses to leave his family, leave his work as a shepherd, and go back to Egypt and be his spokesperson. And through Moses, God was going to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh had kept the Israelites in bondage. And the Egyptians had kept them in bondage for over 400 years. And so Moses, in his uh, appeal to God, trying to get out of the assignment, one of the things he asked is, God, who am I to tell uh, is sending me? Who am I to tell them is sending me? What's your name? And if you remember that dialogue, it's in Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Basically, God gives an unusual answer. He says, just tell them that the great I am is sending you. And that I am is, um, 
it's really the Hebrew expression for existence. The one who exists. Tell him that the one who has always existed and will always exist, the one who is eternal, the one who is infinite, that's who's sending you. And that has powerful ramifications when we really understand who God is and what his name is and what his name represents. You know, when we think about a name, we're not just talking about an identification. We're talking about a personage. We're talking about attributes. We're talking about character. We're talking about teaching. We're talking about morality and ethics. It all comes with a name, particularly when we're talking about God's name. Names matter a lot. God's name matters a lot to God. So let's take a look at Exodus 20. Exodus 20, in verse 7, we're going to read the third commandment. And here it is. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That's the commandment. And then it's followed uh, by a statement about the punishment for someone who violates this commandment. It says, For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So we need to understand that God's name is uh, not to be misused. God's name is to be revered. God's name is to be respected. Listen to what some of the writers in Scripture say about God's name. David says this in Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then in Psalm 29, he says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. In Matthew 6, 9, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray and subsequently teaching us how to pray says, start your prayers by saying this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then if we shift to the New Testament and we see the names of God's Son, Jesus, we see the same thing. How these names are to be proclaimed and honored with glory and majesty and holiness. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then I love this passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, Therefore God exalted him to be uh, him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And from these verses, these passages, and so many more, we see that God's name is to be high and lifted up. God's name is glorious. God's name is majestic. God's name is holy. God's name is the name that brings us salvation. God's name is the name that every knee will bow to. It's above all. And therefore, God's name must be respected and not misused. 
You know, I think we can kind of put the third commandment in a trilogy with the first three. And so you'll remember the first commandment prohibits us from worshiping the wrong God. The second commandment prohibits us from worshiping God in the wrong way. And then the third commandment prohibits us from misusing God's name. And they all really go together. Well, what does it actually mean to misuse God's name? What do we need to avoid? I think that's a key question for us today as we're thinking about this third commandment. Well, the first thing that we should think about and often do is that when we use God's name frivolously, or you might say carelessly or thoughtlessly or disrespectfully, then we are breaking the third commandment. What does it mean to use God's name frivolously? Well, one, we've all heard, I think, at least I grew up uh, in a Christian home, and I was taught pretty early on that it really involved swearing or cursing, in particular using God's name or invoking God's name or using God's name in some way that might be profane. Some people do. We know this. Some people do use the name of Jesus, almost like a curse word. Or some people will actually pronounce a curse and they will put God's name in front of it. And so we know these are things that we're really not supposed to do, certainly as Christ followers. We know as Christ followers that we really have to watch what we say in every matter. And certainly as it involves swearing or cursing or things like that. But Ephesians 5 just tells us, you know, you need to avoid coarse language or or harsh language or unwholesome talk. So we know this goes hand in hand, but certainly with what we can see and sometimes see in our society. So avoid doing this. And I do think that's part of what God is telling us in this third commandment. Don't misuse God's name in this way. Don't be so disrespectful that you would trivialize his name or use it frivolously. But I think there's another way we can do that. You know, we're told in the Bible that there were these prophets that were false prophets, both Old Testament and New Testament. And what these false prophets would do was they would basically call upon or pronounce the authority of God to, uh, to basically promote their own agendas. And that's a very dangerous thing to do. Basically, they were saying, God says thus. But the problem was God had not said that. It was really them saying it, but just appealing to God's authority. And so we do have to be very, very careful about those type of things, especially people like me in a position like I'm in. It's very important that I make sure that the only time I'm saying, thus says the Lord, is when it's clearly expressed in the Word of God. And then I can tell you, thus says the Lord. But if I have an impression 
Or if I have a sense, and I often do, and most of you do, you should. As you're walking with God, you have these, these encounters with the Holy Spirit where you're impressed that the Lord is telling you to do something or speaking you to some way. I think we do need to be careful, though, with that. Sometimes it's popular in Christianity and Christian lingo to say, you know, God told me this in my prayer time. I do think God speaks, but I think we have to be careful with that terminology. And sometimes we might say, God told me to do this. And sometimes we might say, God told me to tell you to do this. We have to be careful. And I think it's better as we are getting those promptings, those impressions, those leadings, is to just cushion it by simply saying the truth. We've sensed God might be leading us in this direction or sensed God might be telling us to do this. We really need to pray about this and then step out in obedience and see if this is true or not. And that's really, I think, the way we need to go about it and therefore avoid using God's name frivolously or basically claiming an authority that we do not rightly have and shouldn't claim. So that's one way. Using God's name frivolously, thoughtlessly, carelessly, disrespectfully. But a second way we can violate the second commandment is failing to perform an oath or vow taken in God's name. And this is... um, Not super common in our culture, but it was very common in the biblical culture to take oaths in the name of God or in the name of something considered sacred. Now, the reason for this was this is how they they made contracts or covenants or business deals, agreements with one another. You know, in our world, if we... uh, make a, a business transaction, especially a major one, we're going to have a contract that's in writing. And it's going to spell out all of the responsibilities of each party involved. In fact, uh, just for the fun of it, I went back last night and I looked at the contract that I was given when Mona and I purchased our home in Little Rock. And uh, I, it was one of those packets. You've, any of you who've made a, a decision like that or purchased a home or something major, you have those contracts. For the fun of it, I counted the number of pages. You know how many pages are in my, my contract or our contract? If you add the cover letter and the information that comes with that, it came up to 99 pages. I kept trying to find just one more to round it off, but 99 pages. And they're not just the, you know, the eight and a half by 11 sheet pages. They're the eight and a half by 14, and they're packed in with details and legalese, and it's just all of the the responsibilities and what's going to happen if one party or the other breaks the contract. In the biblical world, they didn't have that ability. They didn't have access to things like that. And so if you were making an important decision, an agreement, or promising to do something, the way you could assure the other party that you were serious and that you would follow through is to basically take an oath in God's name. 
And basically then you were saying that God is my witness and God then will hold me accountable to following through. I can guarantee you I will do this because I'm taking this oath in the name of God. And that was appropriate and that was okay. Uh, And that's just how they did it. But what the third commandment is making very clear is if you do take an oath in God's name, If you do swear to do something in God's name, you must follow through. Very, very serious. And there would be harsh consequences if one didn't. And so we see that. You know, Jesus actually weighed in on this, this biblical culture of oath-taking and using the name of God to take an oath. You know what he said? It's in the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember this. It's in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let's just, let's just don't even take oaths. Let's just don't do that. Let's just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, what was he saying and what was he not saying? He wasn't saying that we shouldn't make promises or pledges or agree to do things, make commitments. He wasn't telling us stop making commitments or promises or pledges. What he was saying, I believe, is do what you say. Just be a people that everyone knows if you say you're going to do it, they can trust you. You're a person of your word. You're a person who keeps your promises. You can be counted upon without any extra oaths or reassurances. I believe that's what Jesus was telling us. And so as we look at this, we just need to understand we need to be promise keepers. We need to be people who honor our word, our commitments. And if not, then we are in danger of violating The third commandment. The third thing I think we ought to look at here is just this idea of approaching God irreverently. What does this mean? Well, again, this is talked about quite a bit in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. A lot of the the prophets, those minor prophets and major prophets, they'll talk a lot about approaching God irreverently. In fact, they'll talk a lot about coming to worship describing the people of God coming to worship, going through all of the rituals of worship, bringing their offerings, their sacrifices, singing their songs, giving their tithes and offerings, and yet God is saying it really means nothing to me. Why? Because their lives were living in just the opposite way of what he was calling them to do. They were living very unjustly. They were living in greed. They were taking advantage of the poor, the needy. They weren't taking care of the disadvantaged. Things like that. And so Isaiah 1 is a place where you can go and read what Isaiah the prophet is telling the people and how God feels about this type of worship. You can go to Amos chapter 5, read the same things. And then go to Micah 6, uh, particularly verse 8, 
And what God says in all of these places is I'm looking for justice and righteousness. When you come to worship me, come with hearts seeking justice and righteousness, not a hypocritical heart. Now what he's not saying is you can't come and worship when that you have to have your whole life and act together to come and worship me. But what he is saying is when you come and worship me, if things are not right, come with a repentant heart ready to make things right. And they weren't doing that. They were living for themselves very ungodly, very disobedient lives, and yet they thought things were okay or they gave the appearance that things were okay because they were going through all of the rituals. It's true that sometimes going to church can actually be a sin. If you show up here with the type of hearts that they had and the way they were showing up for church. God doesn't need our songs, our music. He doesn't need our sacrifices. He doesn't need our money. He needs our hearts. And he wants our hearts to be right when we come before him. And we can approach him very irreverently in all kinds of ways. And I think the message for us is that this is a true violation of the third commandment, misusing God's name. You know, if we claim the name of Jesus, and I hope you do, if you're a Christian, you're claiming the name of Jesus. If you claim the name of Jesus, if you pray in the name of Jesus, if you are saved by the name of Jesus, if you and I get our identity from the name of Jesus and God, yet we choose to live in disobedience. We're really making a mockery of God's holy name. And we must not do that. You know, the third commandment tells us very simply, do not misuse God's name. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God's name means a lot. It means a lot to God. And it should mean a lot to us. Let's honor him now as we pray. Father, as we bow our heads, we thank you that your name is above all names. We come before you and experience your glory and want to glorify you. Father, we want to proclaim your name as hallowed because you and you alone are holy. Father, we know that your name is the name above every name. And Lord, we want to bow before you. We want to lead others in bowing before you. 
Father, help us to be a people who do not in any shape, form, or fashion treat your name with contempt. Use it frivolously, casually, carelessly, thoughtlessly, disrespectfully. Father, and when we've done that, we confess. And we ask you to forgive us of this sin, this violation of your third commandment. And Father, we ask you to cleanse our hearts and help us to change. Father, help us to be people who keep our words, keep our promises, people that others can trust and know that we're trustworthy and know that God's people are that type of people. Father, help us to not approach you irreverently in any part of our lives. Father, help us to be obedient. Father, help us to be transformed. Help us to be light in the midst of darkness. Father, we thank you that you will do this. And we thank you that we, we pray in the name of Jesus that we're not just throwing out a Christian phrase, just a casual benediction. Lord, when we're praying in the name of Jesus, we're acknowledging that you can do all things, that you're all powerful, that you're eternal. You're the God who's always existed and always will. And Lord, we celebrate that we can trust you to hear our prayers and answer our prayers. And so today, Lord, we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, We invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 11.15. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.